Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. This week, I talk with peak performance researcher and author Dr. Adam Fraser. We have a fantastic chat about everything from happiness, striving, and the completion myth to working your way through a panic attack and showing up as the best version of yourself as a parent. Adam also sheds light on a fascinating way he discovered high-performing individuals frame their negative inner monologue in order to stay at the top of their game. I hope you enjoy and take away from this conversation as much as I did. Dr. Adam Fraser, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very, very good to be here. (laughs) Now, um, you are the father, well, proud father, I should say, of two daughters. You're a peak performance researcher and have written two great books, The Third Space and Strive. So, can you just dry, dive straight in and, and tell us what exactly is Striving? Yeah, well, Strive is a, was a weird book in terms of it wasn't kind of a book that I set out to write. It was just more that we discovered something really interesting in our research and, and we tried to then explain it because it kind of did our head in a little bit. And, and one of the key things was that what kept coming, coming up in the research was that what people kind of felt found most fulfilling or were most proud of were the moments that involved the most amount of struggle in them. So, and we also discovered something that we called the completion myth, which is most people think they're happiest when they achieve a goal, like when they get to the end. But what we discovered is they feel a moment of elation, but then they very quickly fall into a slump of sadness And this was universal, whether it was Olympic medalists that had come home after winning gold or people that sold their businesses for hundreds of millions of dollars. Once we achieve a goal, we go through this period, which we call the completion myth, where we expect, you know, the achievement to be better than it actually is. So what we found is what, what people actually enjoy the most is the strive. They like doing the work, the courage, the evolution in seeing themselves get better so that's what the book's all about yeah i'm currently about halfway through i'm really enjoying it it's it's actually absolutely packed with um some great uh stories and and examples it's it's and i love the way you've put loads of humor through it as well so uh yeah <laughs> really well written I, i'm enjoying it i'm glad you find me funny you're the only one <laughs> <laughs> well, we would never expect our daughters to find us funny would we <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. Of my wife. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, can you um, actually, well, actually, when it, when we think about striving, how can we encourage our kids to strive more then? Yeah, it's a really great, really great question. I'm just thinking how I answer it quickly and simply. I think one of the key things is that in our praise, in our reflection, and our celebration, it's not just about the results, but it's about the process that they did to get there. And even if the result didn't come to fruition, it's it's celebrating that tenacity. That and and if you are going to celebrate the strive, the two things you want to focus on is courage and evolution. So how were they courageous? Did they take on something that scared them, that challenged them? And the second one is, is notice and go into great detail about the evolution that you see, how they did something different or how they approached it different or how their skills have evolved and improved. So in this kind of Instagram world, what we want to celebrate is 
how great they were and the results and and the you know the the mark they get or the score what we want to do is celebrate the courage in the evolution so that would be my advice to a parent it's interesting you say the instagram uh perspective or lens because when you said that, Adam, I thought of like you'd have instead of the usual Instagram final shot, which is the perfect drawing that everyone wants to put up and show the rest of the world. If you're really good, yeah, yeah. then having the previous five or six iterations before that, and that's what you're sort of is that you saying shouting out, it's the evolution. Look at all the shitty ones I did before the perfect one. That's what we really want to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I try and do with my daughters. Um, you know, who both do sport and obviously go to school is co- is talking about that that um, that progress. Like he, a lot of research shows, that human beings are most alive when they see themselves making progress towards a meaningful goal. So that that celebrating that process is very important. Yeah. I love the questions that you throw in at dinner time as well. You know, the the additional two that most people ask around: <laughs> How did you fail today? And yeah, you know, yeah. oh, what was the? I can't remember the other one, but it was the um, other one was what did, struggle, what did you struggle with but not give up on? Yes, that's it. And that, those yeah. are two great additions, I reckon. Yeah, I actually got those from Carol Dweck, who's um, you know an amazing researcher. I got to present at a conference with her, and um, I was talking about how I, I normally ask my daughters, you know, what went well today? What did you enjoy? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? Because another great researcher, Martin Seligman, when I presented with him, told me to do that. But I told Carol that I had this religious practice and she kind of went, oh, wow, that's a lot of rainbows and sunshine. (laughs) She did, you know, add a bit of realism in there, which was ask them what did they struggle with but not give up on, but also what did they suck at? What did they fail? What screwed up? And um, I added them and they make a massive difference to my daughter's resilience, perspective, um, capacity to handle setback. Well, what I love about it, Adam, is the fact that it throws it back onto you as well because you can then share more openly what you're sucking at at the moment or how something that... (laughs) Which is heaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I can definitely put... I can throw thousands of examples on the table. I've got so much material. (laughs) But it, but it's great because I think as parents we probably try and filter that out from sharing with our yeah, kids. Yeah, we do. Which you yeah. know, if we can share that and 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 normalize it, then when they start, you know, having these failures, you know, we're we're encouraging it, we're high fiving it even. Yeah, and 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 we're just changing their relationship with with failure or setback or discomfort. And and in the Strive book, what I talk about is one of the the unintended consequences of positive psychology and the happiness movement is they've taught us that positive emotion is good and good for us. Negative emotion is bad and bad for us. So we have this thing where we just focus on our strengths or just tell me what was great about the day, but we don't also go, well, what sucked or did someone say something mean to you? Like we sweep all that stuff under the cover and and so what we're we're having is this world where we just want to talk about all the great stuff, but it's negative emotion, negative thought is a, a normal part of life. And and if we don't talk about it and sit with it, we, we start to numb ourselves to it or we start to uh, repress it. So, yeah, I think we're in a really dangerous space right now in terms of being 
overly positive. Yeah. The point you made as well about, you know, these emotions, happiness is an emotion and, and, and emotions are fleeting. And yet we're trying yes. to keep, we're trying to maintain almost like a, a state of being around an emotion. And, and maybe it's just chasing our tail and setting ourselves up, you know, to, to sort of damage ourselves. Yeah, well, I mean, just the reality is, particularly with the happiness movement, like the goal is happiness, we want to chase it, and we have this mentality of, well, if I don't feel happy, there's something wrong with me. And as you pointed out, no, you just don't currently experience happiness right now. You're experiencing other emotions. and But we framed it that that one emotion is the goal, and, and if we're not there, then there's something going wrong we're failing so yeah yeah and and it's just it's very very destructive but also it's reduced our capacity to deal with those uncomfortable things uh when they do creep up and 2020 is a perfect example of the fact that most of us have been kicked in the butt (laughs) uh, and we're experiencing a boatload of discomfort and a lot of people are just simply not coping yeah it's interesting because if you ask most parents what they most want for their children they would arguably answer, I just want them to be happy most times. Yeah. And and yeah. how do you reckon we can reframe that? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I've been, been doing a lot of work in Asia and um, in most Western cultures they go, I, I want my child to be happy is the number one thing. In Asian cultures it's very much I want my child to achieve and be a doctor. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's quite different. But it, it is a very common theme, which is, well, I, I don't care about my, you know, I don't care what my child does as long as they're happy. And how we should focus, well, I, I believe is that, well, I want my child to be challenged and to grow and and evolve and, and do things that are uncomfortable and be open-minded. I think one of the the scary things is we've dulled it down into one single emotion, which is um, not great. It's almost like vanillaizing. And as a result, it's affecting our parenting. Yeah. 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 And because um, it also goes on to the, the, the things that we're proudest of as well, because you've done, you've done a lot of research into you know, asking people what they're most proud of, and invariably it's things that they've actually struggled through, uh, you know, really felt yeah. a, an achievement from. Yeah, since about 2013, um, I started asking this question of audiences that I presented to because in our research um, we were asking people, what are you proud of? And it always came as, you know, the hardest thing they'd ever done and I started to ask it to audiences uh, in about 2013 and and for years and years and years I would ask this question and it was always... um, moved countries, uh, changed careers, left a dysfunctional relationship, ran a marathon. It was always the really hard stuff. Like no one ever put their hand up and said, oh, well, I watch TV like a legend. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it was always the really difficult things. And um, it's a great question. And one thing I've seen is a lot of presenters that sat in on my session have started to copy that and ask that question so obviously it, it struck a chord um, with people. But, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I've um, asked people over the last uh, seven to eight years, yeah. 
I, I wouldn't want to break a tradition, so I'm going to ask you, Adam. So what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Well, uh, I mean, it's constantly varying. I think uh, definitely for me currently the thing I'm most proud of um, is how I've responded to COVID-19. I mean, my business model uh, before 2020 was I did about 140 keynote presentations a year. So I would, and that is getting people in a room, sitting them really close to each other and getting them to interact, like not the best business model for a global pandemic. And uh, so we've had to evolve the business. And while we were quite diversified already, like we did a lot of programs and we did a lot of research um, I'm proud of how we responded to that and as a business we've evolved. But also um, I have to say the way I parented my children during that time um, because my world kind of blew up overnight and uh, I've you talk about struggle. Whew, I've never experienced struggle like that on a – it was a – like just everything I'd built was vanishing in front of me and we had a record year uh, booked in for 2020 and a couple of projects that we really have been working on for a long time came off and they all just, everything just started to get cancelled and vanish. And, um, you know, uh, I, I can remember one day I was walking to my car and I'm driving my daughters to school and I'm having a full-blown panic attack, like the whole bit. And um, I'm thinking, how do I pay my staff and how do I pay the rent? And and uh, as I'm walking to the car, I just went, all right, I know you're freaking out and this is a really normal response. And if you weren't freaking out, there'd be something wrong. But when you get in that car, you're going to be happy, Dad. And you're going to get in there, you're going to put on Taylor Swift, like don't judge me. Um, <laughs> That's what and, we were playing this And you're <laughs> going to be fun, Dad, for that 30 minutes. You, you're just going to be fun yeah. and you're not going to and, – and I thought to myself, and once I get out of the car, you can fall apart. But here's the and, – and what I constantly had were these moments of, yeah, everything around me is kind of crumbling, but I'm going to choose to behave in a constructive way or I'm going to choose – so that's probably what I'm most proud of, I think. Wow, that can't have been easy. Oh, dude. <laughs> All right. Do, what, but, um, what were you thinking at the it. time? Did you actually like, slow your breathing? Like this is what you – what was going through your mind? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, like we, I've never applied my own research to myself so much in my life. <laughs> And um, we've been doing a lot of research, obviously, for the Strive book about how do you handle struggle and discomfort. And I just had to practice it. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot about, well, how do I handle the uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that I'm having? And, and rather than trying to fight them or get rid of them, it's the, the sitting with the discomfort. It's the accepting that, well, of course I feel this way. Like I you know, to, to feel overly optimistic or positive would be dysfunctional. But and, and the whole premise of the book focuses on, well, how do I let my values and what I'm trying to achieve guide me rather than what's happening inside my head? Um, so it was very much about those steps of it's okay to feel like this, it's okay to have these emotions, um, but there's a level of stoicism to it of, but this is the behavior I choose right now. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to let the negative dialogue run me. Um, and it's not about pretending that that stuff's not there or fighting or, or trying to get rid of it. It's just like, yeah, okay, I'm predicting disaster. I'm um, worrying about all these things. Well, of course I am because, you know, that's that's a normal response. And then, it, But it's much more, but I choose this this behavior right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how you mentioned stoicism because it feels like when you said that, the question that you probably asked yourself was like, can I actually do anything in the next 30 minutes? No, I actually can't. And so yeah. it almost like takes a, a bit of a bit of the edge off it. But I actually wrote down the list in, in Strive as well, like the 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 situation you had where the first point was like, don't freak out. Second part, don't act on the impulses you feel right now. Three, do behaviors that make you feel better and turn to a couple of good mates as well. Like if you're in this sort of transient low mood and I really, really like that sort of process. And I think it's something that we don't actually have in our toolbox of ways to cope that often or not so spelled out. Yeah. And also psychology over the last 10 years has gone through a massive evolution where we're focusing on a thing called psychological flexibility, like having a flexible relationship with our mind. Because what we've kind of been taught is that, well, if I go through stress and I feel negative thought and emotion, I have to turn it into positive thought and emotion before I can act. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, understand that we've been taught this linear model, textbook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Have 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 a, a positive mindset, positive emotion, and then I'll do better. And what's like, like the reality is that's really really hard to do, particularly when you're under a lot of stress and challenge. And what psychological flexibility focuses on, well, how do I feel negative thought and emotion but still do the right behavior? Yeah. So I don't necessarily have to turn it into positive thought. So rather than walk to the car and go, well, you know, I'm I'm healthy and I should just focus on the good things in my life and and uh, I should appreciate what I have. And like, rather than doing all those strategies, it was much more about, yep, okay, you're freaking out. Yes, it's okay to feel that way. This is a normal response. But what's the action I'm going to do to improve my situation? So it's much more about a focus on action that's aligned to your values rather than I have to fix what's happening inside my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it almost, it's almost like you buy yourself a pause as well, don't you? You go, I don't need to freak out right now. I'm just going to press pause on that right now and just be in the moment or whatever it takes to just get the kids to school safe and sound and then I'll, you know, unpause. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it. And it's almost that... We're trying to create space between what's happening inside our head and how we act. Yeah. I found this actually, Adam, with um, meditation has been massive for me in that sense. It's just bought me just a couple of seconds sometimes when I've been like made to react in a situation. And and previously I would have responded knee-jerk wise and just gone into a typical default reaction to say the kids playing up or something when I'm, you know, got loads on. And I, I just noticed a couple, well, probably about six months ago, I started going, whoa, normally in that situation, I would have free, you know, flipped right there. Oh, it's interesting. I'm, I've actually, it's almost like the watcher 
watching me. I'm watching myself go, I'm not going to react like that. I'm actually going to choose this direction instead because that's what I'd normally do. No, I'm going to do that. And it's just changed things so much. I just think you described it beautifully then. And, and, and like, if you listen to what you describe, it's quite an Eastern and a cynical person might go, oh, it's a bit esoteric or it's a bit fluffy. And, but what has happened is hardcore science has, has looked at that approach and went, oh, yeah, actually, <laughs> that's got a lot of merit to it. And that ability to notice or watch your thoughts is so critical. And it's almost because one of the problems is most people are like fused with their thoughts. Like they have a thought and it drives their behavior. Say they're having an argument with their partner and they have a thought, well, my partner takes me for granted and they just, and then they start to attack them in the argument. Oh, you never appreciate me and you don't do this and blah, blah, blah. Like, we're fused with it rather than in the argument going, okay, I'm getting criticised by my partner and, and I'm having the impulse that I want to yell at them and the, and the reason for that is that I think they don't take, they, I think that they take me for granted. So ra- rather than going that knee-jerk reaction, it's kind of like, yeah, I know I'm having that thought but far out, that's not very accurate. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes they take me for granted, sometimes I take them, but, you know, not all the time. And it's it's almost that, well, I can notice that I'm having this thought, but I'm not, I'm not going to follow that impulse or, well, that's not going to result in a good behaviour. What's a better behaviour right now? Yeah. Did I describe that? Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> did I just confuse the hell out of No, 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 that, that's exactly how actually, I felt. Actually, here's a way to describe it. Yeah, here's a way to describe it. When we were writing Strive, um, we've, we've been doing a lot of research on people who can do uh, the right behaviour even when the stakes are really, really high. So like things special are forces very, very stressful. And, uh, and one Olympians. of the groups, yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things, I, I spoke to a circus troupe, so think Cirque du Soleil, who do crazy dangerous stuff. Yeah. And if they get it wrong... Like they could actually kill themselves. Like it's that high, yeah. or, or they'll certainly, you know, maim themselves in some way. In arguably the and most I sat spectacular down with them and fashion. I went, all right, first of all, yeah, 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 in front of thousands of people. And I said to this group, I said, all right, um, when you perform, or as you're going out to perform, do you have negative thought and emotion, or is it just like I'm going to crush this? And they went. Of course we have negative thought and emotion. Like we're human. And it varies some nights more than others. And I said, well, I said to the troop, I said, how how do you manage those negative thought and emotion? Like how do you stop them from, you know, ruling your behaviour? And the head of the troop goes, do you mean Kevin? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know who the hell Kevin is, but like how do you manage your negative thought and emotion? And she goes, yeah, that like Kevin. And I'm like, who the hell's Kevin? And she goes, well, we, we have this part of our brain that, is, that has fear and doubt and predicts disaster, and we call that Kevin. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And they go, well, we just kind of go, what we realise is we, we can never get rid of Kevin. Right? For years we tried that not to have fear, not to have doubt, but it's just impossible. He's the black so sheep of the family. So what we did is we went, all right, it's a, 
What's that? He's the black sheep of the family. There's no getting rid of him. He's hanging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And and what she was saying is that we realised that when you fight Kevin, Kevin wins. Because when you start to get in an argument with Kevin, like you just can't win that argument. So what they focus on is going, yeah, yeah, cool, thanks, Kevin. Like I know you're there, but I'm sitting you off to the side. And Kevin doesn't get to run the show. So she said it's almost like a radio in the background of this fear and doubt. Sometimes the radio is really loud, sometimes it's soft. But their key thing was we recognise and accept that Kevin's there, but Kevin doesn't get to make decisions. Yeah, I like and that. So if yeah, so that that's kind of similar to what you were talking about. And I've shared this analogy with Kevin with like senior, senior executives. And they come back and go, oh, we bloody love Kevin. That's the best. <laughs> like, you know, before I do a big pitch or before a really important meeting, I go, yeah, yeah, thanks, Kev. But, you know, I've got to focus on this. Or I, <laughs> so normally Kevin would run the show. He doesn't. He sits off to the side now. And, and, and so that's an analogy of managing, you know, your negative thoughts and emotions. That's Kevin. Yeah. I think that's great. I don't mind. And it made me think, because I like the fact that it's, you know, like Brené Brown says, when she talks about, you know, when, when you get hyper sort of stimulated and you're in fear mode, logic and reasoning yeah. are not only in the backseat of the car, like they're no longer driving, they're like tied up in the, in the trunk of the car. You know, yeah. they, they, they're not even in the car. Whereas it's almost like, Kevin, yeah. Kevin, I hear you, buddy but I need you to just pipe down in the back. Like we're taking you along yeah. with us, but you just got to sit in the back and be quiet. Play your iPad. Yeah. Like we'll, we listen to you, but, but I'm, I'm dad, I'm driving. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And, and just to give you an example of this the other day, I had, well, not the other day, it was a couple of months ago, one of my team members pulled me aside and gave me some feedback that I didn't ask for about my leadership. <laughs> and yeah, you're probably familiar with those moments. Yeah. And, and they just kind of went, hey, you're out of line and you're acting like a jerk and here's how. And in that moment, you know, Kevin pops up and Kevin wants to go, who is she? You know, you're working your ass off here. She doesn't appreciate you. This is, un- this is not cool. And you know what? Here's all the things she does wrong. And, and normally, like you, whenever someone criticises you, natural impulse is, well, let me tell you about you or let me tell you about how you're wrong or let me tell you about why. This is inaccurate. And I just had to, in that moment, just sit with it. And I noticed what Kevin was saying, but I just went, yeah, I'm not following that guy's advice. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I was to say some of the things he wants me to say, I'm going to get a bad situation. And I thought to myself, okay, I, I know I want to argue, and that's a really normal response, but what's the most important behavior I can do right now? And in that moment, it was just shut your mouth and listen. And at the end, I just, I apologised, I asked some clarifying questions and then I said to her, like, okay, you've given me a lot of stuff but what what should I focus on first? Like what's the most important stuff? And she said this and this and I went, cool, all right. Like I'm really going to make an effort to do this. Would it be okay if I checked in just like every couple of weeks to see how I'm tracking? She said, yeah. And like out of that, we had the best conversation we had we're far closer. I solved some problems for myself. I learned about my leadership. But if I had to listen to Kevin, we would have had a Barney in that meeting. And, and 
that that's the power of this flexible arrange relationship with your brain of rather than well I'm going to just follow these thoughts it's like okay yeah I know I want to do this but here's a much more constructive and as you described it before like I sat there watching my thoughts <laughs> and just noticing what I wanted to say <laughs> like part of me's going oh my god don't say that it's that red act <laughs> red act <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So anyway, um, that's kind of, I don't know how we arrived here. But no, that's... I, I think that's gold actually, Adam, because really yeah. what what came what, what, in that situation you're in, like if you'd have done what Kevin wanted, you'd have lost all that intel. Like you, the, oh. she had, she'd seen things happen from a different perspective. And, and this happens so much in management, doesn't it? Like the manager yeah. doesn't want to hear any other perspective except for their own. And I think parents, like we often fall into it as well. No, no, this is such a thing that I hold my identity around. I don't want anyone telling me that I'm a bad parent. But, you know, if we do check it for a second and actually ask the qualifying questions like you did, there's there's a bunch of stuff we can learn. And then we can choose at the end to say, you know what, I, I hear what you say. I actually disagree because of this, but, you know, thanks ever so much for input. So it does, especially if we stretch out and listen to them, you know, we've been made that pause and taken all the emotion out of it. So, Yeah, and, and you mentioned, like, parenting. This is something I use in my parenting constantly, like this, this ability to sit with these uncomfortable thoughts, notice them but, and accept that they're okay to have but choose different behaviours to what they tell me to do. So I, my youngest daughter has ADHD. You know, her name's Lexi. She's Hurricane Lexi. Like she just leaves a trail of destruction <laughs> everywhere she goes. And, you know, because of her ADHD, she, she's the most wonderful child, but far, you can't, like, you, you know, you ask her to go do something and 15 things will get in the way. <laughs> and, and just that... <sighs> especially having a child like that, you constantly want to criticise. You constantly want to correct. And, you know, that, and that's the Kevin part. Like Kevin wants to go, are you bloody serious, kid? Far out. And, and you want to take it out on them. And, and that ability to go, to notice the frustration and notice the thought but go, Far out, she's a kid with ADHD. She gets corrected and criticised all day. Like I'm not going to follow that path. Yeah, totally. And and I think kids in general, because I mean, even if like obviously it's it's uh, you know, should we say ex- I want to say accelerated, but no, it's it's augmented, I guess, with ADHD. But I mean, every child is still developing and we're constantly judging tend to judge them as adults almost with certain behavior and you know it takes till like in their 20s before we're fully developed so (laughs) and you know i remember a friend saying to me they're kids man you can't judge them they're they're just kids so if we can sorry yeah i was just gonna say rich like what's really interesting is what age do we start to do that like you think about the toddler they're trying to walk and and they fall over and, and we go, it's okay, and we give them unconditional kind of support. We don't stand there and go, you suck, like <laughs> far out. Yeah. It's been a month, kid. Like get it to – like when do we start to judge? Well, we, we get them riding a bike and we don't criticise. Like riding a bike is – it's almost like the major milestones of childhood, like learning to walk, learning to ride a bike, and learning to swim, I'd say, like fundamental things. Yeah. But 
I, I, I can't think of anything after that. Like the first basket, they, they score a hoop. But not yeah. much after that. That's like a milestone where we're really celebrating. As, I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. Maybe once they go to school, we tend to outsource to the teachers a bit too much. Yeah. I'll have a think and I just that. had another Kevin moment. <laughs> like my youngest um, is doing T-ball and going to the games, like most of my kids played individual sports beforehand, but one started to play a team sport and I always criticised those psycho parents on the sideline. Yeah. And, oh, my God, <laughs> I have become the psycho parent in my head. Like Kevin He's going, he's rampant. Yeah, they made a couple of mistakes on the weekend. And I just wanted to yell out, like, just get it together, kids. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and you notice those thoughts of, of judgment. And yeah. yeah. So I'm constantly having to manage Kevin on the sidelines at T ball. <laughs> oh, no, my, my, mine is actually with my eldest daughter because I'll actually mention something to her and, and she'll just, like she'll start doing it and then she'll stop and then she'll be back doing what she was doing before and it'll take forever. And I'll, I'll yeah. think, what are you just ignoring me? Or And it's just, oh, I forgot. And, and I actually now think she genuinely forgets. She just gets distracted. And so there's me getting all That's like, true. I feel like it's a personal affront that she's not doing this thing that I've asked her 17 times to do. And then she's genuinely like, oh, yeah, I was just focusing. I was concentrating on this. And and if I go at it like a bull in a china shop, then that just wrecks the day. You know, you, you've set off on a really bad foot. Whereas if you look at it like, okay, what can I put in place that's going to be a reminder for her? Okay, Annie, I want you to hold this or something like that. When you look at your hand yeah. and you're holding that, can you just carry on doing that thing or whatever? I don't know. It's just, it's... Yeah, yeah and I was thinking about people listening to this and the advice. And one of the key things is the acceptance that it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Like it's okay to have these thoughts and emotions. So afterwards I didn't, when I'm having all those terrible <laughs> thoughts about these kids screwing up T-ball, I didn't afterwards go, oh, I'm such a bad dad. Oh, God, I've really, you know, <laughs> it's just, I, I can't, it was, it's almost fun and curiosity to go, what a psychopath, like inside <laughs> my head. Like I, I, I behave perfectly, but I didn't, uh, and it was almost that playfulness of, oh, I'm one of those guys that I criticise. <clears throat> so it's the acceptance of getting frustrated at my kid is okay. Um, you know, getting feeling anger when they don't do the things you ask them to do is okay. So too often we have these negative thoughts and emotions and we beat ourselves up for having them and, and, and they're normal. And I see this in the business world a lot, like when we have self-doubt or imposter syndrome, we think, oh, I'm not cut out for this or I'm, I'm not resilient enough or I'm not this or I'm not that. And what we don't want to do is beat ourselves up for having these thoughts and emotions. It's much more about, oh, wow, that's a really full-on reaction or, or, wow, I didn't know that side of me. Or, you know, it's the acceptance of it's okay to feel that way. Like we should judge our behaviour but not our thoughts and our emotions and our reactions to things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I was on a podcast the other week and um, the question came up around 
like advice to myself and I think it's almost like be kind to yourself like because I used to beat myself up so much and it's it's okay to want to do those things but I think you've just got to recognize that you've just you you are trying the best but just let go and be kind don't beat yourself up because it's not gonna not gonna help you in the long run and the acceptance takes the sting out of it because if we go oh I shouldn't have those thoughts or or what is that Oh man, that means I'm just not cut out for it. And and an activity I do with um, groups is I get them to reflect on like what does their Kevin say to them? <laughs> yeah, what are the negative things you say to yourself about yourself? And I get them to do it in pairs and then swap pairs and talk. So they've got to come up with you know their kind of real negative stuff they say about themselves. And then I get, we form a a big group and everyone has to give one in front of the big group. And what comes out is everyone's got the same stuff going on inside their head. (laughs) Like it's all, I haven't achieved enough, I'm not good enough, or I'm an imposter. Like I don't know what I'm doing and someone's going to work it out. And afterwards, people, it's like they found religion. Like they come (laughs) up and go, I thought I was the only one that had those thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I was the only one that had doubt. Yeah. And the everyone had and I was doing it with a like some of the most senior business people in Australia. Wow. And um they just went, Oh yeah, like I, I I'm just worried that you know people will work out I'm not as smart as they think I am. <laughs> and 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 the whole what it illustrates is two things. Number one, we're never getting rid of Kevin, like we'll always have that self-doubt. But number two, that we've all got the same stuff going on inside our head. So rather than going, oh, I shouldn't think that, it's like, well, that's an that's normal. Yeah. Like that's that's just everyone has that. So rather than spending mental time and energy trying to get rid of that stuff, we've got to accept that, well, yeah, of course I'm gonna have those thoughts, but in this moment, here's the behavior I choose. I love the way that it's you know, Kevin's got a name that's not you as well. So you actually remove it from your own identity yeah. as well, rather than saying, yeah, oh. Apologies to all the Kevins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friend will be gutted for <laughs> when I start talking about him like this. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's removing it as well. Because uh, otherwise, it's like, how do you actually voice it? It's like, oh, the one part of my brain is saying this, and it's still your ownership. Whereas if you give it a name, you've you've yeah. dissociated from it. I think that's that's genius on the part of the Cirque du Soleil sort of performers i i'm I'm definitely giving it a will yeah yeah it's uh it's a great strategy (laughs) now i um i know you you've got tons on today so i did want to dive into your other book as well can you briefly tell us what the third space is yeah the third space is um probably the most popular piece of research we've ever done so one of the things um i had an experience with the uh, a CEO where I was doing some work with him in Brisbane. He invited me over for dinner and uh, with his family. And and just what struck me about this guy is he was just so patient and present and relaxed and and funny. And and I, I as he was walking me out of the home, I just said, "How do you go from psycho businessman to super dad?" And, and what he talked about is he had this process that he did. So he would come home and uh, he had a, a separate entrance in, into the, the home. So he literally had this thing built and he'd park the car, he'd go through this entrance, he'd go into his room and he said to me, 
I'm off limits. Like the family can't talk to me. They can't interact with me. I go in there and I have a shower and I, yeah, you know, I take off my suit, I have a shower, I put on casual clothes, and then I do this little mindfulness activity for a couple of minutes. He said, then I go greet the family. And he said that this, this process he does is the most important thing in his day. And he said, it just allows me to shift from work mode to home mode. And what he said is I used to transition home, but I'd take the mindset of the day home with me. And he said, I walk in the door, I'm finishing my wife's sentences, I'm yelling at my kids, you know, I'm, I'm finishing her sentences because she doesn't talk fast enough, I'm yelling at my kids because they're not efficient, and he said, yeah, I'm trying to run my home like my office. And what he talked about is that that transition from work to home was very, very important for him. And I started to share this story and people started to go, I loved it. I love this concept. And we, we called it the third space. Like it's the gap between work and home. And what we started to look at was, is there a specific way to transition from work to home? Because what we found in our research, there's a thing called negative spill. Like if we have a stressful day, we tend to take it home, which creates conflict which creates more stress, which we then take to work the next day. And this cycle of stress spills from one environment to another. And what we started to look at is what do you do in this transition between work and home? And what we found is there was three key things. So the first thing is how you reflect on the day. So the third space has three steps to it. How do I reflect? And this is just how do I make sense of the day? And and do I focus on everything that was bad about the day or do I focus on, well, here's what I got done or here's what was good about the day or here's how I evolved. The next step is called rest. And this is just anything that makes your brain very present and calm. So it could be Sudoku on the bus, reading a book on the train, exercise, going for a walk. Um, But the third thing is called reset. And that is where you start to change your sort of mindset and your behavior to suit the home environment. So there were these three steps called reflect, rest, reset. And what we did was a series of experiments where we got business people to practice these three steps. And um, what we saw was a 43% improvement in mood in the home. So the homes got happier. Um, And also what we showed was uh, boundary strength increased by about 91%, which is the ability to have a bad day and not take it home with you. So what we found is this concept of the third space um, is just critical to improving connection and work-life balance um, and how we transition from work to home. Yeah. And when you say that, having that element of recovery as well, I mean, that must have such high value for companies because they're not getting burnout from their staff and so on and and the families as well. Yeah, and recovery is a real critical part of it, that rest phase of of what do I do? And, you know, people took it and did their own thing. Like some people had to drive home um, past the beach and, you know, one guy just said, you know, I just sit there and um, I do those three steps. I think about the day, I close it down, I just watch the surf, I take a couple of deep breaths and then I think, all right, what sort of dad do I want to be when I walk through the door? You know, I want to be fun, I want to be playful. Um, other people, like with so many people working from home, others have said, well, you know, I pack up all my stuff and put it away so it's no longer visual and then I go for a walk 
and I just, you know, enjoy nature and I, um, you know, be mindful and I move and, and that's sort of the separation between work mode and home mode. So it's a very flexible concept. Yeah, yeah. I um when I used to live in Manly, I used to experience a similar oh. thing in that catching that ferry from the CBD. Oh, that would be amazing. The yeah. transition of thirty minutes of like reading a book, looking at the national parks, and then arriving in Manly was just gold. And and I only realised that how valuable it was when I left there. I was like, oh man, yeah, yes. I don't have that transition anymore. You know, it was it was forced forced be. rest. Yeah, and also you need the water and it's rhythmical. Like it's almost kind of rocks you and relaxes you. And Yeah, so oh, many yeah. excellent <laughs> elements to And it. the fact that Manly's like paradise. Yeah, you're going on holiday every yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, I, I can't wait to read the book actually. I downloaded it last night. So uh, that'll be as soon as I finish Drive, I'll be into it, Adam. But um, now what projects are you working on? Is there any way that, you know, Anything that you'd like people to, you know, find out about what you're working on or where they can find you? Yeah, I mean, the because one of the points of differentiation for us is that we do our own research. So we're constantly doing research projects and we partner with universities to do those. So three that we're working on at the moment. Number one is um, uh, mental health, well-being and prevention of burnout in school principals. Uh, it's something called the Flourish Movement, um, which has been going for about four to five years, which has got amazing research. Almost a 1,000 principals have done it. It's a 12-month program. Um, we're also looking at uh, prevention of burnout in partners in professional services firms. So that's a big project that we're working on called Nurture. And uh, in the last month, we have just kicked off Australia's first mental health and well-being study into financial advisors. Right. So that's a group that's been kicked around and have experienced so much change and disruption where we're studying three things. Number one, what is their current level of mental health and well-being? Just because tragically they've seen an explosion of suicides in that industry, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, the second thing we're asking is, well, of the ones that have good well-being what do they do? What are their habits? And the last part is because their world has changed so much, what are the behaviours of financial advisors who have handled that change and disruption? So that's something we're working on with Deakin University and AIA, the insurance company, are sponsoring it. So, yeah. Wow. Well, it, it sounds like, I mean, you're doing some amazing work. I think it's it's fantastic, and what I will do, I'll put links to the the show notes and stuff as where people can find you as well. But Dr. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Adam as much as I did. I'll leave a link to his details on the website in case you'd like to get in touch with him. If you are enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading reviews and it really helps others discover the podcast. Well, that's all from me. I hope you stay safe and sane and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>